for a part two. We, uh, we talked last week about a key point in the book of Hebrews, and that is Jesus is better. And you may say, better than what? Fill in the blank. Anything you want to put at the end of that sentence, Jesus is better. And so the author of Hebrews tells us time and time again uh, some of the things, at least in their culture, that they were dealing with that, that may not necessarily connect with us, but, but regardless of whatever time people live, Jesus is better than whatever there is at that time. And so we're kind of using what we talked about last week as a, as a springboard just to kind of expound on, on what that looks like for us as Christians and what that looks like for us as a church. If Jesus is better and we want to know Jesus better, then what does that mean for how we live our lives? And in particularly with us that come together here today as a body of Christ that calls ourselves Enterprise Baptist Church or for the church universal, that is all Christians all over the world, what does that look like for us? How should that affect our life? If Jesus is better, we should desire to build a better church. Now, you may look at different bodies of Christ around, around the world, and maybe this body of Christ, and you may say, we're doing pretty good, or you may say, we're doing pretty bad. But regardless of where we are as a church, as a body of Christ, we should always strive to be better. Now, we don't want to put any, want to put any, 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 any crazy uh, expectation or burden on us as if doing better means we've got to do more. But we need to have this, this attitude that, okay, we're constantly checking ourselves. We're constantly making sure that we're doing things that God wants us to do and we're, and we're living in a way God wants us to live and we're serving in a way that God wants us to serve. And so if Jesus is better, then we first want to recognize as a church and as Christians that Jesus is better and we want to strive to be the best church that we can be for the Lord. And so we're, we, we talked about that very briefly last week. If Jesus is better, that should affect our life in some way. We should strive to be better, and that should flow into our church and flow out of our church. And so we're just going to kind of pick up with that same idea and just continue that thought out a little bit today. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, the very first part of that verse says, Having become so much better. Now, we talked about that in great detail. You can find that sermon uh, uh, last, from last week online and listen to that and get the idea. But the idea, as I've just stated, is Jesus is better. And so building on that, we're going to dig into what that may look like for us today. So let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. We thank you for your good word. And I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would preach and teach your word in a way that brings glory and honor to you. God, I pray that you free us of distractions today. Whatever may be on our mind, whatever may be competing for our thoughts, whatever worries we may have, or whether we're thinking about what we're going to do later today or later this week or whatever it may be, God, I pray that in these few moments that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today. God, I cannot preach a good word if it does not come from you. So, God, I need you desperately today to be with me, to speak to me and to speak through me. And I pray, God, that all these things will be done for your glory. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple of verses there very briefly. But 
But we should strive as brothers and sisters in Christ and as a church to do the best job we can for the Lord. Now, there are times that we may can look at ourselves and we may can say, not, not with a sense of pride or boasting, but, you know, we're, we're doing okay. We have to evaluate ourselves. And sometimes when we evaluate ourselves, either personally or as a church, we may say, you know, we're doing good. We're really striving to serve the Lord and live for Him, and, and we're going to continue on that path, continue to do those things. Or maybe sometimes we evaluate ourselves as individuals or as a church, and we say, you know, we've not done a very good job of representing who Jesus is. Jesus is better than, than how we have represented him to the world. And so it's important for us to realize that as we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be with this goal that we are going to grow into better followers of Christ so that we live better for Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 we're not so much looking at the context of this verse today, but just a key few elements to it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, that last part there probably is, is what we're going to kind of focus on today because that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're, we're learning. You're hearing a word from a pastor. You're, you're being taught. Maybe you were already taught some in Sunday school. So when we come to church on Sunday mornings, this is what we're, this is what we're experiencing. We're experiencing those that God has gifted in some way to preach the message or to teach the message. But what is the point that we come here for? What's the point that we continue to gather week after week after week? What is the job of the pastor and of the teacher, of the one who's going to preach the message? Well, the job is stated for us in verse 12, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry. So we come together week after week, year after year. Some of you guys have been sitting on pews for more more years than some of us can bind. Some of you have, have, have continually come to church, come to church. And what do you come for? You come so that you can grow in the Lord. And it's the job of the preacher and the job of the teacher to make sure that people are being trained. Now, what are we being trained for? We're being trained for the work of ministry. And so we don't come here every Sunday, hopefully, just to sit around and laugh and smile and hug each other and say how you're doing and, and just feel better about ourselves and go about our day, but not do anything for the Lord. No, our goal, hopefully, is, okay, I'm going to come to church because I desire to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. I desire to continue to hear God's Word that I have heard over and over and over, a hundred times, a thousand times, because it's a living word. It's a beautiful word. It continues to speak to me. It continues to encourage me. It continues to convict me. It continues to guide me in life. And so we come to be built up to praise the Lord, but we come so that we can go. Not so we can go watch the ball game or go back to work, but so that we can go into the world and that we can let people know the message they need to know. What is the message they need to know? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Okay, here's the world around you. Here's what you see in the world. It's not good. But we leave this place and we want to live our life in such a way that we can tell people, hey, Jesus is better. And that they can see how good Jesus is through the way that we live our life. And so we come here so that we can be trained up, so that we can be prepared to do the work of the ministry. Some of the ways we do the work of the ministry, the shoebox ministry we just talked about, the sleeping bag ministry, even our fun day yesterday. I mean, there's lots of ways in which we can do the work of the ministry. But in whatever work we do as a body of Christ, we do it for the Lord. Now, we need to remember that. We never want to fall into the trap 
that people say, oh, Enterprise Baptist Church is so good. We don't want to fall into that trap. Should you ever leave this church and go to another church, don't fall into the trap at that church either. It's not about people in the community looking at us and saying we're so good and we patting ourselves on the back. If, if we do good and people see it, we never want to do it so that people are, uh, so, so that, just so that people will see it. But we want to do the work of God for God so that God will receive the glory. So we need to remember that in all that we do. Let's continue reading. To build up the body of Christ. Okay, we come together. We learn for the work of ministry so that we can be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Okay, so we want to strive so that we can measure up to Christ and who he was as best as we can. Now, we would all acknowledge probably this morning that we are not perfect and that we fail continually. We continue to sin. I don't think anybody in here would say, oh, I'm perfect and I don't sin anymore. No, we acknowledge that, that we are not like Christ in that way because we are not perfect. However, we, we strive to be like Christ as much as we can. And whenever we stumble, whenever we fall, we repent, we seek God, we come together, we try to grow in the Lord through God's Word, through the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, so that we would grow and, and, and measure up to who Christ calls us to be. Now, God calls us to a much higher standard than what the world calls us to. The world standard is pretty low. So we can measure up to the world standard, and the world would look at us and say, hey, you're pretty good. But we don't live by the world standards. And so if we've been measuring ourselves by the standard of the world, we've been getting a bad measurement. Because the scripture says that we are to measure up to the fullness of Christ. Now, we'll never reach that in this life, but that's our goal as Christians. That we never want to say, I'm happy with where I am. Now, you may be in a good spot with the Lord this morning. But when we say, I'm happy with where I am, we, we become complacent. And we don't stay where we are, we go down. But when we are continually striving to live as good as we can for the Lord and to seek God and to do what God calls us to do and to keep Jesus first so that we can be measured in the fullness of Christ and we can continue to grow in that way, that's what God calls us to do. So that's why we come together as a church. We come together because we realize it is good for us to be together and to continue to hear the Word of God. Now, it probably would not be good, and praise the Lord, nobody does this, or at least not that I'm aware of, but, but how good would it be if you said, oh, I'm going to be part of that church, and I'm going to be involved in every ministry, but I'm never going to come to a church service. I'm never going to come to a time of fellowship and, and to a time of hearing the Word, either taught in Sunday school or preached on a Sunday morning. I'll come hand out sleeping bags, and I'll come uh, put shoeboxes together. Well, that wouldn't be very healthy. I mean, those things are good. Those things are good things in ministry that we do, and we want to be part of those things, but we realize we need to do more than that, that we, need to, that we need to be more of the part of the body of Christ at this church than simply just doing those activities. And so we do come so that we can hear the Word of God and hopefully so that we can grow in the Word of God so that we can be the best church that God wants us to be, always evaluating ourselves, always making sure that we are not falling into any kind of temptation to think too highly of ourselves always making sure that there aren't opportunities that God has placed before us that we're not doing, always making sure that in the opportunities that we do, we do it for the glory of God. And so these are ways that I believe that we constantly need to be checking ourselves to make sure we're doing good for God. So if we want to be a better church, 
There are three areas here that we're going to talk about briefly today that I think are important things for us to consider and to think about and be reminded of. If we want to be the best church we can be, there are three things we're going to look at today. There are certainly more that we could probably talk about, but these three, I think, will give us something to something to think about. Now, there are certain things that 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 uh, that can go unsaid. That is, we assume, well, we, you don't have to say these things. Everybody knows these things, but sometimes the things that can be left unsaid need to be said. Even if we've heard them before and we are aware of them before, some things are so obvious that we shouldn't need to be reminded of them. But sometimes we do need to be reminded of them. The first thing that is important, if we want to be the best church that we can be for the Lord, we need to remember that Jesus is the head of the church. Now that's obvious, right? The scripture tells us that Jesus is the head of the church just as the husband is the head of the, head of the bride and head of the household. We need to remember that Jesus is the head of the church. That should be obvious to us, and even though if we may acknowledge that and say we know that it's true, we have to make sure that we live our life in such a way that we live that out and we show that. Now, it's easy sometimes to fall into a trap when you go to a church. You may say, oh, I really like the preacher there, and, and sometimes people put way too much focus on a preacher. Uh, but we cannot put our focus on a preacher or on a deacon or an elder or anybody else that's in leadership in a church because Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. He is so in, in so much as that God has given that authority to him to lead and to preach and to teach and to shepherd the flock in that sense. But ultimately, the pastor answers to Jesus. The church congregation answers to Jesus. Jesus must be the head of the church. Now, we have spent the last nine weeks in the beginning of Hebrews talking about Jesus, who he is, and how good he is. Now, I would encourage you, if you want to know more about Jesus, you can go and you can listen to those things, and that will help us, hopefully, as we think about the things that we've talked about, to recognize who Jesus is, his, his supremacy, his superiority, that his preeminence, that Jesus is above all things, and Jesus must be the head of this church. Everything we do is for the glory of God, so that people will know of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they would know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus gave his life on a cross, Jesus was crucified, Jesus was placed in the grave, Jesus was resurrected, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's who Jesus is. And that's the message we want the world to know. Because there's no hope that we individually can give to people. There's no hope that we as a church can give to people if we don't bring Jesus to the people. Because hope comes through Jesus. And so our goal as a church is to know Jesus better, to know that Jesus is better, and to let the world know that Jesus is, Jesus is better. So the first obvious thing that we need to know to make sure that we're the best church that we can be for God is we need to know that Jesus is the head of this church and all that we do is for his glory. The second thing that we need to know and this, again, seems very obvious, but if we want to be a good church for the Lord, then we need to acknowledge sin and seek to avoid it. Now, you may say to yourself, well, that's obvious. Of course we know we should acknowledge sin and we should seek to avoid it. However, sometimes we don't always do that as individuals, and we don't always do a good job of that as churches. Now, it is clear that that Jesus does not want us to continue to live in sin. Now, that's not to say that Jesus 
thinks that we're going to be perfect. Jesus knows that we are not going to be perfect. But, but again, there needs to be, we need to be striving not to live in sin. We don't need to have this attitude that, well, I've already accepted Jesus, and he knows I'm a sinner, and this is who I am. This is who I was born to be, and I can't overcome these temptations, so God will love me for who I am, and so I'm going to quit trying. That's not a good attitude to have. And sometimes even those who profess to be Christians would have such an attitude. But even if we acknowledge that we are sinners, we should never be content to stay in that sin. Now, we see in uh, John chapter 8, verse 11, I referenced this story either last week or the week after. There was a woman caught in adultery, and she was brought to Jesus. And, and the crowd, they wanted her stoned because of what she had done. But Jesus spoke up, and, 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 and long story short, the crowd dispersed, and, and nobody there stoned the woman. And what did he tell the woman? He said, go and sin no more. Now, this is important. If we come to Christ, and, and, and through Jesus Christ we are forgiven, and we are not condemned through Jesus Christ, but we receive grace through Jesus Christ, well, it's not grace so that we can go sin all the more, as Paul would say. Absolutely not. But when we come to Christ, it should be with this attitude that I'm going to seek to sin no more. I'm going to strive to sin no more. And there will be days that you will fail. It's going to happen. But we should never be content with our failure to sin. We should always say, look, I'm going to strive to do what is right. And when I sin, I will repent. But, but our goal needs to be exactly what Jesus commanded here to this woman, to go and to sin no more. Another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34 Come to your senses and stop sinning. Now, this is Paul speaking to the people of Corinth here. Perhaps this is what we need to hear sometimes. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Come to your senses and stop sinning. We referenced the prodigal son in the last couple of weeks. And that's exactly what the scripture says of, of, of him, that he came to his senses. And that's sometimes what we need to do. We need to come to our senses and we need to stop sinning. Now, maybe individually this morning, God is already convicting you and has been convicting you of some sin in your life that shouldn't be there. Then I'll tell you what Jesus said. Go and sin no more. Repent of that sin. Don't continue to live in that sinful lifestyle. Acknowledge that sin and seek to avoid it. That's what God's word calls us to do time and time again. Romans chapter 8 verse, excuse me, uh, chapter 6 verse 12 says, "Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires." Again, there's plenty of scriptures throughout the Bible that tell us, "Hey, sin is not good. You need to avoid it." You don't need to live by it. But too many times we allow sin to permeate our life, a little bit of sin, and we don't deal with that sin. And probably everybody in here, if I were to ask you, you could probably tell me an example of a time that you let a little sin into your life and it turned, up, turned out to be a, a really big deal and caused really big problems in your life. And so we need, A, to look at ourselves as individuals, but B, to make sure that we are not allowing sin to permeate into the church because sin will do that. You see, as it's been said before, uh, the church is, is downstream from culture. Too many times the culture of the world begins to influence the church. And so things that the culture says are okay, eventually those of us who are in Christ who continue to give in to a little bit of sin, we begin to accept things that are sinful that we should not accept. And the culture begins to influence the church, but it should be the opposite. We as a church should come together and grow in the Lord and seek to avoid sin so much so that we can grow into better, uh, 
men and women of Christ so that we can go out into the world and so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the culture. But too many times nowadays, it seems like the culture changes the church. And so sin can very easily get into something and, and, and destroy it and really affect it in a negative way. One good example of this, in my opinion, is divorce. Now, some of you will say, well, you talk about divorce from time to time, and you're pretty hard on that. I am hard on divorce. I'm not condemning divorce people. There are plenty of sins, uh, and Jesus forgives sins, praise the Lord. But I'm using divorce as an example because I think it's a good example to show the effects of, of, of what sin does. There was a time when divorce was not, was not really accepted. It was something that was frowned upon, and people dare wouldn't get divorced. But, but then divorce enters into the picture, and then you have broken families, and then broken families lead to children with one, without one parent or another, and that leads to a whole host of problems. Now, I believe that a culture can only be as healthy as its marriages. But see, our culture does not hold marriage to a very high standard. First, we say, okay, well, divorce is okay, and we allow divorce to take place. And then all of a sudden, we say, well, not only is, 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 is marriage not sacred enough that, that people need to stay married, but we'll encourage people to get married, but people of the same sex. Now, when, when our marriages begin to fail, whether it be with divorce or whether it uh, be with same-sex marriage, we have got a major problem on our hand, a problem that trickles its way down into the children and into the society. And that's just in the world. But the problem is, is that too many times sin in that way acknowledges the church. And the church begins to be accepting of things and, and, and not say things about sinful things in the church because who are we to say anything? You see, there's this problem. There's kind of this, this barrel that the devil think he, thinks he gets us over because we are afraid sometimes to acknowledge sin. Now, again, I said it's obvious that we should acknowledge sin, but the fact of the matter is, is that we are afraid to acknowledge sin, maybe more so in this world than ever before. Because today, you acknowledge sin on Facebook or on Twitter, guess what? You're going to get canceled. If you are in any kind of position and you acknowledge sin, if somebody's living a sinful lifestyle and you simply say, God's word says that is wrong, then look out. Now, we should not be surprised of that in the world. When we go out into the world living in darkness and we say something is a sin for people not want to, to, to hear that truth, we should not be surprised at that. But we, we should not allow that to be the case in our bodies of Christ, in our churches. We need to acknowledge sin, but we don't acknowledge sin. And part of that is because perhaps we ourselves are in sin. And after all, didn't Jesus say, uh, you know, with whatever measure you judged, it'll be measured unto you. And so we say, well, who am I to say anything is wrong? And we don't say anything at all. But Jesus goes on to say, before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye. But he didn't say, leave the speck in your brother's eye. And that's the problem. Sometimes we say, well, I can't say anything is a sin because I'm a sinner too, and I'll be hypocritical. Well, maybe that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't be hypocritical. Look at your own life. Examine your own life. Make sure that you are walking with me in the way that you should, and therefore you will be able and 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 can go and tell that person who has the speck in their eye, hey, look, brother, there is a speck in your eye. But we shouldn't allow our brother to walk around with a speck in his eye. 
I mean, have you ever had anything in your eye, a little speck in your eye? It is, it is painful. It is aggravating. And so we want to get those things out. And that's what sin does. And so there are times in our life that we may need to say, I'm not saying anything to that person because I'd be hypocritical. Well, maybe we just realize something about ourselves that we need to acknowledge sin in our own life and seek to avoid it. Now, that's a, that's a really difficult topic. Should we all go around calling out each other's sins? Well, we have to be careful with those things. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that sin is sin. We cannot pretend that sin doesn't exist. And we must, as brothers and sisters in Christ, hold one another to a higher standard. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, Paul is addressing an issue where there's some sexual immorality in the church. And what does he say? He says, well, who am I to say anything? I don't want to say anything because if I judge them, then I'm going to be judged and I'd be hypocritical because I was a pretty bad sinner too, so let's not say anything. No, that's not what Paul says there. There's sexual immorality that's taking place in the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Now, who is he talking about there? He's talking about those outside of the church, those who don't know Christ, those who don't know any better, those who don't profess Christ and don't know Christ and, 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 and live for Christ. Then we expect those who don't know Christ to live like those who don't know Christ. But for those who have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and seek to live for him, then God calls us to something better. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hold one another to a higher standard, which means we have to acknowledge that sin is sin. And sometimes it must be dealt with. And that's what Paul says. What business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside, but God judges outsiders. What does he mean, inside? Those who are inside this body of Christ in Corinth that he's writing this letter to. He says, look, if this was going on outside, then, hey, we're not, we're not judges of the world. We're not necessarily going out on the street corners with our, with our signs and telling everybody, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. No, we go out into the world. We let people know that Jesus Christ is better. We tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for those who are in the church who say and claim that they have put their faith in Jesus Christ but continue to live a life of sin or are going down a road of sin, it is up to other brothers and sisters in Christ to say, brother, sister, that is not good, that is not healthy. And what does Paul say? Well, he says something really stern here. At the end of verse 13, he says, put away the evil person from among yourselves. Now, this is, this is pretty serious language that, that Paul says here. Paul is saying there is sin that is taking place within the body of Christ, and we must acknowledge this sin, and we must deal with this sin in some way. Why is that? Because if sin continues to reach the body of Christ, we will be ineffective as the body of Christ. If the body of Christ begins to look like the world, how are we going to reach the world? Now, everybody in the world can see what the world is like, but if they look at us and we look just like the world and we say, well, you need to follow Jesus, and they say, why? You live in just like me. How effective can we be? We will not be effective at all. God calls us to a higher standard when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And God calls us as brothers and sisters in Christ to hold each other to a higher standard. That we do not allow these things to, to influence us individually and influence our church and, and mess up our witness and the work for the kingdom of God that God has called us to do. Even Jesus himself acknowledges that there are times that sin has to be addressed. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. Okay, so what is Jesus saying there? He's saying there are times that you have to acknowledge that a brother or a sister, that somebody has sinned against you. Who is a brother? That is one who professes to be in Christ, but yet they have done something in a sinful way. And Jesus says if they've sinned against you, so we have to make some judgment. We have to make some judgment to acknowledge that sin has existed and that sin, somebody has sinned against us. So Jesus says, okay, acknowledge that and then go and rebuke that person. Now that's the tough part, right? Because we read Matthew chapter 7, wait a minute, judge not lest you be judged. But then wait a minute, here Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, acknowledge that it's a sin and go and rebuke that person. Now, we have to be very prayerful in these types of things. We don't want to be one who's willy-nilly going out there saying, let me tell you what, what, I'm going to condemn everybody. That's exactly what Matthew chapter 7 is saying we should not do. That's exactly what Jesus does not want us to do. But nowhere in Scripture is there this idea that as Christians that we should avoid, uh, refuse to acknowledge sin or pretend like sin doesn't exist or continue to live in sin and allow others to live in sin because we kind of have this unspoken idea that, okay, I know you're sinning, you know I'm sinning. If you don't call out my sin, I won't call out yours, and we'll go to church on Sunday and smile, and everything will be okay. And kind of that's what we like to do because it's easier to do it that way. It's very difficult when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not good. And so we have to be careful in those types of situations that, one, we don't get angry at people when they do that to us, and, two, that we're doing it with the right heart. So be very prayerful in those situations. And as a church, we must be very prayerful in those types of situations. But Jesus says, look, if somebody sins against you, go and rebuke him. And he gives instructions on how to do this. He says, look, go to them in private. If they still want to continue in sin and don't want to acknowledge these things are going on, then take somebody with you. Take one or two with you. If they still won't listen, what does Jesus say? He says, take it before the church. Take it before the body of Christ. Now, when is the last time that, that you have seen that happen? We don't see that very often, right? Because churches, it's a scary thing. It's a hard thing. As a pastor, that would be like the last thing that I would possibly want to do. I have no desire that if a brother or sister was, was caught in some great sin to stand them up before the church. Yet that is what what Jesus Christ himself calls us to do. So as much as we may not want to do it, there may in fact be times that we have to do it. Now how do we avoid getting to those times? Well, I think we can avoid getting to those times if we acknowledge our sin early on, if we deal with our sin early on and stop it before it gets too big. At the end of that passage in verse 17, he says, if he, if he pays no attention to to them, tell the church, but if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. Now that's pretty strong language, and that's Jesus himself saying, if this person, now keep in mind, this is a person in sin who is professing to be a Christian, who is claiming to be part of the body of Christ. And Jesus says, if they want to persist in their sin and not turn from that sin, if you've gone to them, if you and others have gone to them, if before the whole church they refuse to acknowledge their sin and repent of that, Jesus says, treat them like an unbeliever. That is, don't treat them like a Christian. Don't treat them like a brother and sister in Christ. So how do we treat unbelievers? We try to reach them for Christ. That's what we try to do. Uh, Jesus is not saying treat them like an unbeliever and avoid them, but he says treat them like an unbeliever and a tax collector. Now, maybe what Jesus means when he says like a tax collector there is be careful around them. Maybe he's saying they're not trustworthy. Tax collectors of that day did not have a good reputation. And so maybe Jesus is simply implying there, hey, 
don't trust this guy any more than you trust a tax collector. He professes to be my follower, but he's not, he's not living. He's not doing the right thing. He's living in sin, and so therefore, you need to try to stop him. If he still won't stop him, then you need to try to reach him and tell him what the Word of God says, that we should not live in sin. And so that's important for us if we want to be the best church that we can be, is A, look at ourselves individually to make sure that we are acknowledging sin and avoiding it in our life, and B, as a body of Christ, of believers, holding one another to a higher standard, that we would be better as we go out into this world, as we try to reach people for the kingdom of God, that we would accurately represent who Jesus is. The third thing that I think is important for us is that we love our neighbor more than we love our religion. Again, you may say to yourself, well, that's obvious. Well, of course it's obvious, but we need to make sure that we're doing that. We need to remember that if, if we come together as a body of Christ who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we seek to live for Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to serve. We are called to go out into the world. We are called to serve those in the world. That is our mission. We come here today, we're uplifted, hopefully, by the Word of God. We're encouraged, we're corrected, whatever it needs to be, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. We come, we're ready to do the work of God so that we can be mature and, and meet to full measure of, of, of Christ's fullness. That's what we come here for. But we come here to, to be built up in those ways so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God in the work that we do, so that we go out into the world and that we do God's work. And so it's important for us to remember that God calls us to first love him. Okay, we're putting Jesus as the head of the church. But the next most important thing is for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, so our, our call is to serve God by serving those around us, and particularly those in hard circumstances, those who don't know the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our job to reach those people. And so it's important that we remember that, that we love our neighbor more than we love our religion. But here's an easy trap for us to fall into, is we come to church, and church becomes church, and that becomes our goal. Our goal and becomes, well, I'm going to come to church. I'll come to church on Sunday, I'll come to church on Wednesday, and our goal becomes our religion. Okay, I'll do all the things that religion says is right and religion says is good. And we become so focused on our church and everything is about our church. Oh, we've got more people coming. Oh, we've got 100 people. Oh, we've got 200 people. Oh, we've got 300 people. And all of a sudden, we begin to focus on the tangibles. Okay, our church is doing good because we did X, Y, and Z, because we gave out this many shoeboxes. But our church is not necessarily measured always by the things that we can see. Because there are some things that we're going to do as a body of Christ that we may not ever see the fruit that's produced from that. There may be people that we, that we meet, people that we help, lives that we affect that we will never get to see that we are part of that. But we have to first and foremost realize that we, that we love our neighbor more than we love our religion. That, that, that our relationship with God is not just something that, that happens once a week with inside these four walls, but something that, that we take out with us when we go through these doors. And so we don't want to fall into the trap of fo focusing on numbers, 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 numbers. It's not about the numbers. It's about the work that we are doing for the Lord. Now, I believe as a church, if we, if we keep these three areas at the forefront, if we keep Jesus as the head of everything, if we acknowledge sin and we seek to avoid it both as individuals and as a church, and if we, if we strive to love our neighbors, love our neighborhoods, love our community, love those in need, 
more than we love our religion, then we will be in much better shape and we will be equipped to do the work of God. Because time and time again, and I won't read you examples today. That can be your homework for this this week. But you go and you look at the Old Testament and you will find example after example after example of God saying the same thing over and over. Care for the widows and the poor and the needy and the orphan and the oppressed. Care for the widows and the orphans and the needy and the poor and the oppressed over and over and over and over and over. This is, I believe, the mission of the church. This is still what God calls us to. This is what God called his people to time and time again in the Old Testament, and that's exactly what God calls us to today. A, that we come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we put our faith in him, that we grow in him, and that we go out and do the work that Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He went out and he preached to people and he taught people. He went out to the sick. He went out to the poor. He went out to the needy. He went out to the sinners. And that is what God calls us to do as a church. So we want to make sure that as a church that we are striving to be the best church that we can be, that we are striving, striving to be a better church because we serve a better Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. Now, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that everybody comes and is part of this church. And I pray that in all that we do, that God would bless us, that God would use us to reach this community, to reach those that we come in contact with, that we would evaluate ourselves, that we would examine ourselves, that we would make sure that we are trusting in God, and that above all, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the focus of everything that goes on in this church, that he is lifted above everything that we do, that everything that we do is covered in prayer, that God would bless that, not so that anybody would ever see us, but when they see this church on this hill, that they see Jesus Christ. That is what God calls us to, and I pray that we would be effective in being that light to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And I pray, God, that you would help us in these areas and maybe others that have come to our mind. God, we want to do the best that we can to know, A, that Jesus is better. Live by that, dear Lord, and strive to be better for Jesus, dear Lord. So I pray, God, that you would be with this church. I pray that you would help us to always keep Jesus above and beyond all things that we do, on top of everything, dear Lord. There's nothing that we can do apart from Jesus Christ. All that we do is through Jesus Christ, dear Lord. And so I pray that you would help us not to forget that truth as we seek to serve you. God, I pray that you would help us always to be aware and never cave in. God, it's so easy for a little bit of sin to get into our life. And God, one sin leads to another sin, and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it weakens us, dear Lord, in a variety of ways. And our sin has so much impact, it may be so much far-reaching than, than we may even imagine, God, for our churches and for our societies. So God, let us, let us look to things that you call good. God, marriage, the example we looked at. Let us recognize the goodness of that, dear Lord, what you, what you have called us to. Let us not take that for granted, dear Lord. Let us not... Uh, take any of your word for granted, any of your commands for granted. But dear Lord, know that all the things you command us to that are good, that they are for our good, dear Lord. And when we fail to do the things that you command and, 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 and live by your commands, dear Lord, I, I know that we fail greatly and we see the effects of that. So I pray that you would help us to be those who hear your word and who seek to live by your word. God, help us to acknowledge the sin that's in our life. Maybe there are some today that need to need to confess that sin to you and repent. I pray that they would, dear Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to be not so much concerned about numbers or, or any of the other stuff that sometimes churches may get involved with. But, dear Lord, 
whether we are many or whether we are few, that in all that we do, we seek to love our neighbors. So God, let us love you. Let us love those that you put into our path, that we would be a better example for you when we go into the world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.